want to talk to you about a moment of doubt that I have periodically because I'm talking so often now about sexual wellness and embodiment and I'm in the press about that and the conferences about that with Rosebud that it seems to me sometimes like the world has changed and maybe this message of no more body shame isn't so important. And then I do interviews like a couple this week on clergy sexual abuse which is on the heels of the Southern Baptist sexual scandals and pre-scandals in the Catholic Church, or I interview a woman like Christina Lamb, who's on an upcoming episode, who wrote a book called Our Bodies, Their Battlefield, which talks about the massive, massive impact of rapes and violence against women in wartime as a strategic tool of the conquerors. Not like rape and pillage as a spoils for the individual soldiers, but as a strategic tool of genocide and humiliation and forced migration to get people to clear out of an area. And I hear stories about black maternal health in America being worse than many third world countries. And the governor of Louisiana says something like, well, our numbers are fine if you don't count black women in terms of maternal mortality. I I just, then I'm like, okay, let's back off. I go to a, a, a party over Memorial Day weekend. I'm talking to a young woman who does not know the names of her, her body parts. She's a college-educated young woman in suburban America, and she cannot name the parts of her genitalia. And then I think maybe I am still doing something that matters, and I stay recommitted to eco-spirituality to healing the traumas that stop us from being in full joy of our embodiment, more body love. (sighs) So this week, I'm just going to do a 20-minute, very heavy conversation. It's on religious trauma, and I'm going to request that if you're listening, that you try to drop in and suspend your prior beliefs just to hear this. And be in sort of curiosity. I'm not aiming to change anybody's opinion. I'm just providing information. And I'd love to know if even hearing these stories creates a little bit more possibility or flexibility in in you. This kind of sets the stage for next week's episode, which is Sandy Kirkham. And I'll tell you a little bit more about her at the end of this. Here we go. Hey everybody, it's Christine, your host for the Rose Woman Pod, where every week we talk about something that might invite a little bit more freedom and openness and expansion in our mind, bodies, and spirits, whether that's sexuality or sensuality or our religious beliefs or something around culture. So today I am doing a solo episode talking about religions, basically religions that create abusive impacts and long arc damage, particularly to my beloved sisters. So to kick it off, I want to read a little bit from Margot Anand's book, The Art of Sexual Magic, because it lays out a little bit about, you know, the early origins of the Christian church and, you know, where this could be said of any orthodoxy. But I want to put this out there because I found it such a compelling reframe that basically the early Christian church emerged as a counterpoint or in the times of counterpoint to the excesses of the Roman Empire, and that it wasn't that the church didn't want magic. It just wanted to um, eliminate rival forms of magic. So here's what she writes. Before the coming of Christianity, the pagan religions of Europe, 
drew their spiritual energy from the vital life force of the earth, from nature. The gods and goddesses of those religions were very human, had quarrels, played political games, made love, enjoyed feasting, and did not expect their earthly subjects to behave much differently than themselves. Later on, she continues, Magic was the language of the Great Mother, the creator of the universe, whose spiritual influence dominated many cultures in Europe and the Middle East in pre-Greek times. But when the Roman emperors converted to Christianity, a few hundred years after the crucifixion of Jesus, everything began to change. Once the persecuted Christian minority in Rome had the backing of the tyrants and no longer lived in fear of being fed to hungry lions, it was their turn to become the persecutors. The earthy, colorful pantheon of Greco-Roman gods and goddesses was one casualty of this new and vigorous holy crusade, and magic was another. From the time of Constantine onward, the Christian emperors showed an increasing tendency to draw no distinction between the crime of magic and the pagan forms of worship. That last bit was a quote from Jerome Antoine Romy. So, continuing, under the whip of an unforgiving, moralistic, all-male Christian trinity, women had a particularly hard time, for to demonstrate any gift for healing, psychic intuition, or even rebellious intelligence, was to risk condemnation as a witch and a violent death through burning, strangulation, or drowning. It is a sad and terrible fact that in the 15th century alone, more than 30,000 women were burned to death as witches and sorcerers in Europe, while more than a million people were condemned by the Inquisition for similar crimes in the years spanning 1575 to 1700s. Oh, wow, I have to take a, a big breath at that, to take a really big, big breath. Well, as, as horrible as that is, I want to go back again to the beginning and focus specifically on sexuality and sexual magic, because that part of the history of the church was something I didn't know about. So I'm going to again refer to Margot's introduction. Uh, these days, it's difficult to imagine a religious practice in which a beautiful woman or man welcomes you at the temple and makes love with you, conveying through sexual union the spirit of the deity you had come to worship. Yet in the goddess-oriented religions that existed before the spread of the patriarchal faiths, like Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, that is exactly what happened. Sexuality was embraced as a sacred act. Even married women could serve in the temple. They could come on special occasions and as an act of worship make love with any man who came by. And the children born of such temple unions were respected, regarded as completely legitimate, and lived within the temple precinct, born and raised on holy ground. The priestesses had legal rights, could own property, and enjoyed equal status with men. They were multidimensional in their lovemaking skills and could later marry and have husbands. In fact, they were considered to be very good wives. And it goes on in other traditions where that was possible. And then, in Europe, the sexual dimension of religious communion was gradually curtailed by Greco-Roman civilizations. Priestesses and seers now had to be untouchable virgins rather than welcoming lovers. And when Christianity arrived on the scene, the sexual aspect of worship was snuffed out altogether. Even popular religious totems, like the phallic pillars planted alongside Roman roadways, had their genitals chiseled off to be replaced by crosses. And by the way, when I or she, Margot, talks about Christianity in this context, 
She's referring to the dogma created several hundred years after Jesus, pieced together in a Roman Empire that was undergoing a puritanical reaction to its own former excesses. This dogma bears little or no resemblance to the mystical vision of Jesus himself. The shift in moral and social values that accompanied the spread of Christianity was dramatic. Women were no longer permitted even to officiate at religious ceremonies, let alone offer themselves as mediums for an incumbent deity. And as for sex, it was not only desanctified, it was thoroughly condemned. And it's no secret that the early Christian priesthood despised life on earth. Mortal existence was regarded as a period of pain and suffering through which one had to pass, avoiding various temptations in order to qualify for admission to an eternal and far more enjoyable afterlife. And accordingly, all earthly forms of pleasure were either suspect, impure, transient, worthless, or a combination of all four. You had to have the church's blessing to have babies, blah, blah, blah. And as a result, sexuality was transformed into a medieval battleground between good and evil, especially in the minds of those unfortunate monks and nuns who, while sincerely striving for purity in thought, word, and deed, found themselves constantly distracted by perfectly natural but theologically undesirable sexual impulses. And those who gave in could justify their carnal lust only by protesting that they had been tempted and possessed, and thus sexuality was joined with magic as one of the chief threats to Orthodox religion. All right, that's enough of that. I think she's an amazing writer and researcher, for sure. But I wanted to lay that out because I get so many letters and women reaching out that say, I use your products and you know, I never even touched myself before. I didn't know what my body was like, that, they, that they're carrying all of the religious shame in their body. And so, you know, I've been writing about trauma and stuff. And I'm also like consider myself to have reclaimed Christ from the church, like reclaim Mary as a way of accessing sort of the emblematic, symbolic deep spirituality that's available to us through these incredible teachers. And you know, it's my hope that everyone returns to this really super deep joy in their embodiment, that they fall in love again with themselves as part of earth, with earth, with nature. I think it's our future as a, as a species, as a planet, we, we need to be deeply in love with the physical embodiment of the ecology that we're part of in order to really care for it and steward it. Anyway, so how would you know if your religion is an abusive religion, if it's an oppressive religion? Well, it turns out that there's a lot of research on it. There's even something called religious trauma syndrome now, uh, which I've mentioned before. But I wanted to just list ways that you know that your church or synagogue or whatever it is that you're part of um, is not healthy. One, they tell you that you're born flawed or that your body is sinful or that your sexuality is sinful or your gender or race or sexual preference makes you somehow less than others. Uh, If it has sanctions to control your behavior, if it rejects people who think differently if it gates and controls the information you're allowed to read or learn from, if you are not allowed to be an independent thinker, if it doesn't reward curiosity, if 
God is watching you from the walls and judging you all the time. Uh, that they always, God always knows what you're doing, and it's with a, a sort of an eye to catch you being wrong. Any message that you're not okay, or you're not fundamentally safe in the world, or that your power on this earth is dependent on something outside of you, usually an institution or an authority figure. So all of these manipulations, which can sometimes extend even to sexual abuse or physical abuse or very often financial abuse, extracting resources beyond what people can voluntarily give. Um, These are forms of spiritual violence and they're not okay. We're just going to say it straight out. They are in violation of the fundamental law of the universe, which is the deep interdependence of all things, that everything is worthy of life, that all beings are worthy of love, and that all life forms should be respected and given birth uh, in terms of like a ship's birth, B-E-R-T-H, given space to fulfill their purpose and their dharma and to grow from the seed that was them into the fullest and most beautiful version of themselves. Uh, Some people call oppressive religions a mind rape. One of the worst things is shunning, that you are part of some organization and you see that when people leave, that they get isolated and rejected and they're no longer part of things, Uh, that you don't do business with them, you don't invite them anymore, that they've left the inside faith. That is a form of abuse, of psychological abuse at the highest level. Exclusion. My message is you belong. You belong in this body. You belong on this earth. You belong in your community. There's nothing that you can do that would make you not belong. You don't have to behave the way that others want you to behave. Just be in your heart and be acting towards others as you would want them to treat you. That's a totally different worldview. You are nature. You are perfect. You are whole. You are complete. Breathe. Be free. That's a completely different message than many of the things we got in our semi-religious upbringings. So know that if you're in one of these situations, that you can get out. There are plenty of people out there who want to help. Um, There are organizations that will help you leave a cult-like religion or an oppressive religion. There are books that you can read. There are therapists who specialize in this because all kinds of symptoms arise out of this. A lot of anxiety, a lot of self-judgment, panic attacks, depression, the inability to function, having no, no ability to access your own agency or locus of control. So I just really want to encourage you to rethink whether or not the spiritual practice you're part of loves your body, respects your body, respects your autonomy as an embodied being, respects your right to be an agent of deciding what to do with your body, how to clothe it, how to carry it, how to feed it, how to use your sexuality, how to make medical decisions about it. All of those things are fundamental human rights to sovereignty. Well, on that note, getting a little preachy, my friends. As we heal these traumas, I want to point out a counter-reaction If you've come from a deeply oppressed background, sometimes the counter reaction is, I'm going to be so sassy. I'm going to be so outrageous, like an aggressive, defensive tone around sexuality and genitalia and our bodies that is 
also not reverent or coming from the inside, sort of arising from this like, oh my God, so perfect, so amazing to be in this body. So we look for trauma adaptations that are swinging in the other direction as well and try to temper those. So I'd love for you, even if you don't have this religious trauma component in your body, I would love for you to think about the rebellious intelligence that would be required to compare what you've been told to what you actually see and experience directly in the world, to notice deeply how people do treat each other, um, how people are, are interacting with the planet, how people are interacting intimately, and to see what you think about the rightness and the wrongness of that. Also notice when your perceptual bias takes you to the negativity or to what you're afraid of, or when your body steals in response to something in the media, like freezes up. And when you see that, sort of gradually develop a practice of softening in response to it. You can do this. And as you become more and more aware of what's real for you and what feels good in your body and where trauma is still frozen and keeping you pulled to the past, not allowing you to create the freedom and the life that you deserve or this fulfill your mission, dharma and purpose, you know, then as you see it and you slowly dissolve it, now you're in this in the territory of making a new commitment to care for yourself in the deepest of ways, saying what is true for you, speaking what your real needs are, being in relationships that are respectful of those needs and have beauty. I mean, self-care in general is about caring for your body, mind, and spirit in fundamental ways. And you have probably imbibed with the rest of us in the culture some programming that we can unwind around our bodies. So with that said, you now know a little bit about how the early church uh, turned into a patriarchal dominant system that shamed and even killed women who weren't compliant. You have heard some of the symptoms of religious trauma. We've talked a little bit about tools and resources available for deprogramming and some of the new beliefs that you could install to help you live more freely in your body. And one of those new beliefs is, I am in the deep awareness of my fundamental belonging as me on this earth, as a sovereign being deeply interdependent and intertwined with all of the rest of life. So I'd like you to meditate on that. I'd just like you to meditate saying, this beautiful body is worthy. I respect this beautiful body. I love this beautiful body. There's an affirmation that just says that over and over and over and over again for like an hour that you could use and listen to. But to get into this meditative state that says, from the very seed of my heart, I belong. I know I can get a little academic and heady, but I hope there are a few things in that conversation that sparked something in you. It's preparation for next week's episode with Sandy Kirkham who describes how as a 16-year-old girl, she was targeted and then groomed by a youth pastor for a five-year sexual relationship. And when she tried to come out about it and get support and tell people what had happened, the pastor was reassigned to another church and she was excommunicated from her home church and, and shunned. And then when she tried to tell his new church about what he had done and why he was reassigned, 
the women of that church came after her and called her all kinds of horrible names. It's not just her personal story. It's really a deep dive into how people get targeted and and what those techniques are so that maybe we can interrupt it when it happens to the next girl. We have to start to see patterns. Now, I know this is heavy stuff. It's sometimes a lot more fun to talk about how to have great sex with your husband or your wife or how to love your body and get strong legs and nourish your body in midlife and find your vision and find your joy. But these are done in a way of of finding deep empathy and compassion for what our sisters have gone through and knowing that that great sex with your husband or total body love or lack of shame is hard to access if it's sitting on top of abusive systems that have taught you to be submissive and taught you that just by being a woman, you're somehow inadequate. So that's one of the reasons I tell this story so that we can lift the boat for everyone. You know, what do they say? A rising tide lifts all ships. So that's what we're trying to do. Let's have a new tide for our sisters and new expectations of how we're treated in a body. Let's not be afraid to bear witness and to be part of a change. Um, If you are having trouble in any of this content and it's hitting you hard, I would encourage you just to pause and breathe and let your body feel it and then continue when you're ready. If it's hitting you because you've had sexual trauma or you're remembering something from your own childhood or teenage years, then I really would hope that you would take some of the links in the show notes and find support, find help. It doesn't have to be something that you sit with alone. Okay, have a great week. You are whole, you are perfect, you are complete the way you are, and any systems, dogmas, or creeds that have told you otherwise, they are just plain wrong. Come and find me at the.rose.woman on Instagram or at rosebudwoman on Instagram. You can also email me, christine at rosewoman.com. I'm here for you. All love.